Today is March 5th, 2013. This is Amy Begley interviewing Dr. Joan Oliet for the RRCA Women Pioneers of Running Oral History Project. Joan is best known for her three books, Women's Running, New Women's Running, and Running Free, and also being a lecturer in the 1970s and 80s at races and programs. Hello, Joan. Hi. So you had one of the fun titles of being called the Fastest Doctor Marathoner. Oh, yes, that was back Uh, in the 70s. I don't know now. (laughs) You actually started running later in life. Uh, I started running when I was 30. Okay. And you were already a doctor and had children by this time. Yes, that's right. Okay. And um, what did you do, what kind of exercise did you do before you started running? (laughs) Well, I have to say I was not much of an exerciser of any kind. And what got me into running was, um, do you know that book that um, Kenneth Cooper, Dr. Cooper came out with called um, Running, the Cooper Running Program, I guess Aerobic Running, that's what it was called. And uh, he had everybody do some exercises for about 10 minutes. And then at the end of it, you were supposed to run in place for two minutes. And no, that was boring and uh but it was supposed to take inches off around your hips so a friend of mine who is also a woman doctor said let's go into the park and run in place there because we were moving a bit so that's how we got started we went down to the park feeling very conspicuous because there weren't any women runners back in 1971 none of them we were just wearing sneakers and long pants, and uh, we started kind of jogging in place, but you move a bit as you jog in place, so we ended up going a mile. We couldn't believe it, a whole mile, and women weren't supposed to be able to run. So anyway, not only that, it was enjoyable, so we kept doing it and joined other girls from the hospital. And how many women did you get to come out and join you? Well, there were two, especially the the woman that I started running with got sick after a few weeks, so I had to go without her. But there were two other women who were lab technicians at um, UCSF, which is where we were when we started running. And uh, one was Irene Rudolph, uh, now Irene Asher, and the other was Gail Gustafson, who is now Gail Rod. And uh, they kept running all their lives and were good marathoners. Um, Irene eventually ran a couple of marathons in 254, 255. And poor Gail, who was built kind of like a fire plug back then, took a number of years, (laughs) eight or so, to slim down. But she ran about a 307 finally. So anyway, so we ran together every day, and then some other people joined us from um, UCSF. But that was only until oh, just that first year. Then we met other runners. We we all were persuaded by this fellow who um, was at UCSF in the gym. He said, you girls have to run the beta breaks. Are you there? Yeah. Anyway, so um, we said, what's the beta breakers? We thought it said B-E-T-A, beta. <laughs> beta it was the beta two breakers, and we'd never heard of it. And he said, well, that's a race that they have in San Francisco every year, and this year they're letting women enter it. So you have to go. Well, these friends and I were only running three miles, and the Beta Breakers was about eight. 
we said, oh, gosh, I don't know if we can do that. He says, well, you've got, you can walk if you need to. So, um, but you have to enter it because this is the first year they've allowed women. This would have been 1971. And so we entered the Beta Breakers. And uh, I didn't run the whole thing. I ran most of it. The downhills were easier. And I didn't do too badly. I think I averaged, I think I did it at about seven and a half minutes a mile. And uh, I'd never run that far. So anyway, that was interesting. So I was first of our group. But I think that the woman who won it, I don't know if it was Cheryl Bridges that year who became Cheryl Flanagan Treewargy, who's the mother of Shalane Flanagan, Anyway, Cheryl Bridges was great. She may not have run it that, won it that year. It may have been the next. But I met some women who became very good running friends. The most important one probably then was Elaine Peterson, whom we all called Petey. And Petey had been running for years and sneaking into all these races. And she was the first woman from San Francisco when they allowed women into the Boston Marathon. You had to have run when they let women into the Boston Marathon, which I think was 1973. Three might have been seventy two. Um, nineteen seventy two was the first year they officially let women. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. So anyway, so Petey, but in order to run it, you had to run under three twenty to qualify. And the only one out in San Francisco who had run that in nineteen seventy two was Petey, Elaine Peterson. So she went and ran the marathon in Boston. And the rest of us came the next year when we'd run under 320. At least I had. So that was interesting. So Elaine Peterson was a good friend, and she introduced me to the wonderful San Francisco Running Club called the San Francisco DSE Runners, which stands for Dolphin South End. And that was the founder of that, and the director was this elderly fellow named Walt Stack. I don't know if you've ever heard of Walt Stack, but he was pretty famous. He was a hod carrier (laughs) (laughs) who ran all these things. He appeared on Johnny Carson once, a very, very funny thing. He had Johnny Carson at a loss for words because he was always telling funny stories. But anyway, the DSC had scenic runs of San Francisco every Sunday that Petey told us about opened the men and women, and they ran in scenic parts of the city. Uh, they'd run along the waterfront and this and that. And um, they gave ribbons to every finisher, and they had five place ribbons for the first five men and the first five women. Well, often there were only five women in those early races. <laughs> but the other the guys used to say, why do you give as many women ribbons, place ribbons to women as you do to men, and they're not very many women. And he said, because this is to encourage them. They've always been discriminated against. Yeah. So anyway, we I started running the DSE races, and everybody else did. I, I, I ran every weekend in the race, and we all raced against each other, so we got faster. Okay. So when I ran then- my first marathon, which was in 1973, uh, I was coming off an injury before that, but... All my friends, like Gail and Irene and three or four other women that we were running with, had all run marathons. I hadn't because I'd had an injury, a stress fracture or something. So I didn't run my first marathon until 1973. But it was the fastest first marathon in our group. I ran 317. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Wow, for your first one, I mean, most women nowadays, their only goal for their first marathon is to break four hours. You or they go to finish, yes. You're oh, right. or the finish. Finish, yes. That is, that is another first goal. And, and you're Most goal. of us ran under four hours in our first marathon, all those women, and, except for Gail. I think her first was something like 4.05. So obviously if you're running with people every day and they do something, you figure you can do at least that, maybe better. Definitely. And who was really in charge of training you guys, or did you just um, do, I mean, how, how did you know how to train for a 317 marathon? Well, um, I write about it in my book, Women's Running, that came out in 1976, the training we did. And we just sort of copied the men who were, there were a lot of men running at the time, and we did what they did. And what we did is we ran every day. We'd run longer on weekends. Oh, I have to talk about another woman who was very important back then. That was Marietta Boitano. Have you heard of her? She's actually on my list, yes. Great. Well, she was only a little girl. She was about 9 or 10 at the time, but she won all the races. And she'd been running with her family, her father, mother, and her uh, brother, Mike Boitano. And there was a little, she ran a 304 marathon when she was about 10, I think, or 301. And um, I remember doing my first long run. With her, because we knew that before you ran your first marathon, you had to do a 20-miler or something. So she would do this every weekend, do a long run. So I remember being with her when I did my first marathon. And Walt Stack was there, too. And we were all running at about eight minutes a mile, I guess, for the long run. And uh, she said, she was so funny, she said when we got to about the 15th mile, she says, Joan, this first 20-miler, the first long run, is much harder than the actual marathon. <laughs> you have to know you can do it. Well, she's about 50-something now. Who knows? She, you know, she'd probably be in her 50s now. Anyway, has kids, lives in uh, California. She's one of my friends on Facebook. I've got a, contacts with a lot of these old running friends on Facebook. Oh, Wow. Yeah, she's definitely on my list. Um, it's fun to intertwine the stories of who ran with who and raced against each other. And yeah, um, wow. And how was it? Nowadays, women wouldn't really want to run with you know kids kids that age that were running farther than them. Did you guys have a? Was there any? Did it feel strange to be running with someone so young, running that far? No, we just all admired her. She was running that far with her parents and friends and Walt Stack, people like that, so, you know, it didn't feel strange. Okay. It felt tough because she'd beat us in all the races. <laughs> uh, she was really fast. She'd run, she'd win most of the races there. I remember there was one, I think it was called the Atalanta Run or something in the East Bay, and the prize for the winner was a golden apple, and I remember I was so pissed off because Marietta beat me in the last half mile or so and won the golden apple. Again, she was only nine or ten, and she'd win the dipsy race a couple of times, too. Of course, she'd get a great head start because of being so young. Wow. And, and during the early 70s, the running equipment wasn't the greatest for women. <laughs> there was no such thing as running equipment. How did you make do? Well, I see. I wore... What they had back then was short shorts, and uh, I got a pair of those that I wore. And then I wore a 
kind of knitted top that I picked up somewhere. And I remember Petey in one of my first races, except for the Beta Breakers, Petey came up to me and said, oh, I saw you in the Beta Breakers and introduced herself. And I think she beat me in that, but I came in second. And then afterwards she came up and she sort of took this little knit top of mine and said, you'd do better if you wore a T-shirt. I said, oh, I don't think I have a T-shirt. She said, well, probably you can borrow one from your husband. So that's what I did. So anyway, I wore a bra, and after that I wore a T-shirt, and there weren't any good running shorts for a couple of years. We'd use men's usually, which were better. And And the shoes weren't very good, but they were just coming out with uh, Nikes, Tigers, and Adidas, and so forth. So we'd we'd wear those. Okay. We didn't have any uh, stopwatches. I was told that you usually carried, like some people just carried a, like a hand timer, or some people said they checked the clock before they left and they checked it when they yes. came back. And yes, that's usually what we'd do. We would just okay. check the wall. Okay, we've been going about an hour. Okay. <laughs> Nothing like that. It was very funny. There was a movie that came out. I forget when it came out. I've had uh, a couple of women playing running roles, I think, and um, I forget when it came out, I think probably about 1985 or something, but these women are doing an arm wrestling scene supposedly in 1980, but they've got these um, timers on, these watch timers, you know, like Casio or not Casio or whatever they call them, whatever they had in those days, and um, they've got these these um, watches on that they didn't have back then. So we said, well, this is obviously anachronism. They they didn't know we didn't have watches back then. So we wouldn't have gotten them until later in the 80s. Uh, There's a lack of research. And then also, um, I think they might have been Casio, I'm not sure, or Timex. Anyway, I remember Walt Stack was one of the first who got them. They cost a couple of hundred dollars when they first came out. And the Walt was very lewd, let's say that. And so we all said, oh, we love your watch. Uh, <laughs> Walt, where did you get that? He said, oh, they gave it to me. I said, this, is, this uh, watch is so expensive. It does everything but jerk you off, and it used to be that. <laughs> to do that, too, to be worth the money. So. <laughs> oh, when you... Um... I, I love it. The women that ran with the men, they said that the men, a lot of the men that they run with accepted them and, you know, they were included in all the jokes and they were, and things yep. like that. Do you feel accepted by the men that you ran Absolutely. with? Absolutely. The male runners were great. Yeah. Never had any problem from them. They were funny. They'd run with us. The only thing is I remember one thing. I guess we'd been running a couple of years. We did a lot of races and we were training for a 15 or 20 mile race that weekend and um, I was running in the park with Gail and Irene my usual partners and some guys came up and said oh hi guys hi girls do you mind if we run with you he said no come join us and we were only running at about uh oh hello hello Oh, hello? Oh. Yes, hello? Hello, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Okay, good. Okay. I just pressed the wrong button or something. 
<laughs> anyway, so these guys ran with us for about half a mile or so for us, and it was our usual training pace, which is slower than our racing pace, but not bad. It was seven and a half minutes a mile or something. So uh, then they said, uh, do you girls always run this slowly? Oh, no. And we said, well, this is our usual training pace. They said, well, I guess we'll leave you because we're training for a race this weekend. And they told us about this race, the 15-miler or whatever. said, oh, we're doing that one too. So anyway, they went off, and the race came, and all the girls beat these guys because we made a distinction between our training pace and our racing pace, and they didn't. They always trained too fast. This is this is true uh, in marathons too. We'd be standing around the start, and um, have you, are you a marathoner, Amy? Not yet. I've I've run the half up to the half marathon. I mostly uh, did 10ks and do 10ks, I guess. Great. Anyway, um, we were running in. I've run in many many marathons. 80 I've done in my day. 80 marathons, and. Uh, Anyway, uh, starting out, there's always some men running along with you and so forth, and I hear some of them talking to each other and saying, we came through the first mile in seven minutes or something, he said. One would say to the other, seven minutes, is that okay? And he said, the friends would say, oh, I think we should go a little faster because we're aiming to run under 3.30 or something. And I said, what? That's eight-minute pace. You shouldn't be running out at seven of course, you can do that for the first bit. The point is you have to start out at a race pace, which is slower. <laughs> and they always would start out faster. I don't know what it was. They were not well trained. So we would always beat them in these races. But anyway, they were very welcoming. That's great. You said the first time that you went out to run that one-mile run, and you went out and no, there was no other women running. Was that the only time you felt like you needed to hide your running, or were there other times yes. you felt strange? <laughs> no, um, the first time I felt pretty conspicuous and was pretty conspicuous. But then I guess it's like being at a driving range in golf. You feel everyone's watching you at first, but then you realize they're not. So. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess I got that feeling, too. I was going down to run. And we had some friends who were uh, doctors at the hospital, too, who uh, were had been running for some time, and they liked to have us join them. So that was okay. They said, oh, you're running, too. Great, let's do it. In fact, one of them took me from my first three-miler and my first seven-miler. So one of these other doctors. So. So the men that you train with and race with, most of them are pretty accepting. How did your your family and your close friends feel about your running? How did my uh, family and who? Uh, your family and friends. What did they think about you starting this running this running craze? Well, my friends were all the, my fellow runners. They were my best uh, women friends. We had a group in San Francisco of women runners started in the 70s, and they're still going strong. Not out, but they're still running, but we're all still very good friends. So my women friends all accepted me. My male friends did. Um, the family, my husband didn't like it because he was the big athlete in the family, and I was the cream puff. 
who couldn't do anything physical or athletic. And uh, when he realized that I not only ran, I could actually beat him, he was so upset. (laughs) He felt that he was being disgraced by me. And one of my friends, Irene, used to date a pathologist there at the hospital. And he was very disapproving of her running, and she used to hide her medals and ribbons in the bathroom so he wouldn't see them. She broke up with him after that because she needed more support. Wow. Yeah, it's it's interesting, the, the difference in, in opinion from people with supporting or not supporting running. And yes. it probably made it it probably made it hard for you sometimes to continue to put in the, the time and the training. Um, yes. Um let me just think. I was gonna tell when I when we did our first run, the one mile with my friend Joella, who was also a doctor, that first mile in Golden Gate Park, which was a beautiful place to run. Anyway, Joella, we called her. We were so thrilled with ourselves having gone an entire mile, slowly. But anyway, we were so thrilled we called our husbands. And she said, Joe, that's her husband, I've run. He was a doctor, too. I just ran a mile. And he said, a whole mile? Joella, that's wonderful. You're a gazelle. And I called my husband, who'd been a uh, track runner, 440 and so forth, in high school. And it was very athletic. And I said, I told him I'd run a mile. I said, only a mile? How fast? Oh, no. (laughs) Yes, so let's just say there are different attitudes. And Joella remained married, and I did not. It's it's definitely interesting, the dynamics with family and running and and those that got support and those didn't. Um, But you, you took up running... Really quickly, you started running in 1971, your first marathon in 73. Yeah. And then you you started winning, and you were on the national marathon team in 1974. Yep. That, was a, yes. that was a pretty quick well, time. That's the first time we had a national marathon team. And it was yeah. selected from the people that ran the national championship in 1974, so that was all new stuff. Now, so I went to Germany, I became a very good friend of Dr. Von Aachen, who was having the first international women's marathons, which were in 1974 and in 1976 in Waldmiel. And he got women from all over Europe. And we Americans. Let's see, the first one, Jacqueline Hansen was in the first one. She, you must be talking to her, too. Yep. If I, uh, I interviewed her two weeks ago. You talked to her already? Great. Uh, yep, I talked to Jacqueline Hansen a couple of weeks ago, and they're actually working on a book, I think two books about women's running right now. Yes, I know, with Janet Heinen in, right? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's great, and Andy Burfoot's doing something, too. Yeah, I've, I talked to Andy. We're hoping that his book and all of the interviews will come out around the same time. I think it would be great uh, publicity for both the RRCA the oral history and for his book to bring a lot of Absolutely. attention to running. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's that was... the hope, though. They'll both come out about the same time. Mm-hmm. That would be yes. fantastic. Well, let's just say there were not many women running, and those of us who did, we all ran together, and so we all uh, sort of ran the same pace. Okay. And um, 
I, I could run faster than some of them for the longer distances at least. But I, I didn't, it's very funny, I was running, I'd never run a mile when I did some of these marathons, I guess. It must have been, oh, about 73 or 74. Some of the kids would come up, the little boys, and say, how fast do you do a mile? Because you did a marathon, and you know, near three hours. That's fabulous. How fast can you run? I think I'd, I'd run all, already under three hours, so it must have been 1974. How fast can you run a mile? I said, I don't know. I've never run a mile. But um, probably not any faster than six minutes. And I tr- tried it. And then I talked to, let's see, who was it? It was, gosh, the names. He was an Olympian, Olympic marathoner, along with Frank Shorter and Kenny Moore. Yeah. Kenny Moore, who used to write. He also wrote. Anyway, Kenny um, said to me, why don't you try to run a mile under six minutes, Joan? And I said, well, you know, I get out of breath and it starts hurting after a, a quarter mile. So I sort of ease off. He said, no, no, it's supposed to feel that way. <laughs> run fast and don't let yourself slow down. Ask if it just starts to you know, hurt a bit. So I did, and I ran under six minutes. And then the fastest mile I ever ran was 518. That was on a road. Wow. That's pretty it's good. Inter- it's interesting because I always said the best, your best marathon time is going to be a, mile, a minute a mile slower pace than your fastest mile. And my best marathon, which was 247, was actually 618 per mile. And my fastest mile was 518. So that works pretty well, too. <laughs> that That is pretty amazing. Wow. It's, uh, it seems you had definitely kind of intuitive feeling about running and training, and um, and that led to you writing the books. How did that come about? Um, I was being asked, I was getting lots of letters. I guess I had published a couple of articles in 1973 and 1974. In, uh, I published a couple of articles in Runner's World that I'd been asked do and I was getting lots of letters because I was a pathologist who knew about injuries and things and I was a woman and I was a runner and a doctor so I got lots of letters and I kept on getting writers cramped by answering all these letters so by then and I think it was 1975 uh, Joe Henderson was a good friend of mine the editor at Runner's World back then and uh I said to him, Joe, I said, I'm getting writer's cramp from all these letters. I think I should write a book because these women all want to know the same things, a book about women's running. And he said, that sounds good. So he edited it for me, and I wrote it. So that was great. You should talk to Joe Henderson about this, too. He was very well known about all of this. Okay. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, that was important. Though so I must say, all my friends were, ended up being good runners, though they were just technicians. It just shows you can do whatever you put your mind to. And that's what I wrote about in Running Free, too, that if you put your mind to it, like these women in their 40s, 50s, 60s, you can do anything. And, and I'm assuming you got asked all the time about the health risk for women running that far since you were a doctor. Did you ever get tired of answering that question? 
It was the main thing that people warned you about who were not in favor of women running was that your uterus would drop out or something like that. <laughs> and sometimes women who lost a lot of weight would lose their uh, period for a while yep. They were when they were too thin. But it didn't bother them. Look at Ingrid Christensen. She didn't have any periods for a long time. And um, but she got pregnant and had a baby <laughs> without having a period. So funny. No, I didn't pay any attention to that. I just said they don't know what they're talking about. It's still that way. Yeah. People don't know what they're talking about frequently. It, it seems that way sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, I have to tell who coached me, by the way. Yes. So at the time you said you were at the beginning, you were just copying the men. At, at some point, did somebody offer to coach you, or did you go find a coach? Yes, uh, back when what happened was after my first year of running and was doing all the DSC races and running those pretty fast, because I was usually getting the blue ribbon, unless Marietta got it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I... I uh, was persuaded because I think by Walt Stack, yes, Walt Stack, and um, said that we should go to this running club in 1972 um, in the in Colorado. They had a running club in Colorado, a running camp, sorry, a running camp in Colorado. So um, it was sponsored. I forget who sponsored it. I think it was probably the YMCA or something. But anyway, so we went to this place called Camp Crockett in Colorado, and uh, there were about five or six of us from the DSE, including my husband and kids. It was a fun place up in Colorado, and uh, they had uh, one of the speakers there who was there all week was this uh, former Olympic marathoner named Ron Dawes, D-A-W-S. He was quite famous back in the 70s as a marathoner, and he gave very excellent talks on running and what we should do and so forth. He said that he believed in Lydiard's idea, and I didn't know who Lydiard was either, Arthur Lydiard. But uh, anyway, Dawes liked to do coaching. He would do it in letters and so forth. So for the first few years, he, or actually, I guess until 1980 when I met Arthur Lydiard, Ron Dawes was my only coach, and it was all done by mail. But he um, he basically would say things. He was married, by the way, to Lorraine Moeller and um, taught her how to run and to come up, you know, start out easy and then pick up the pace rather than vice versa, things like that. So I got good advice from him. And then in 1980, I met the actual Arthur Lydiard from New Zealand who was teaching at another running camp. And um, so he took over and became my coach um, pretty much the Dawes system, but uh, he wanted me to work a little bit more on one or two things. So anyway, I had those two coaches, and I had one great role model as a doctor, and that was Dr. Van Aken in Germany, V-A-N-A-A-K-E-N, Ernst Van Aken. And he's the one who sponsored the two international marathons before Avon started sponsoring them. Okay. So they had the marathons in Waldmiel, international marathons, where I met Von Aachen, and I can speak fluent German. So when I first went over there, I was an interpreter for the team, and then after that, they always needed me as his interpreter. 
And then he came over, uh, he coached Leanne Winter, who won the Boston Marathon, I think it was in 1975. And Von Aachen came over to encourage her. And then Von Aachen came out to California at our invitation, and we traveled all around uh, the United States giving lectures. And he would give them in German, and I'd translate. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, and he was the great, he was sort of the big originator of long, slow distance. Okay. So, which, uh, of course, who else wrote the long distance? I think it was uh, Joe Henderson who wrote that, the long run solution, all of that. Anyway, it was the, the whole idea was to do long, slow runs in training. And what did you what did you think about Lydiard's system, and, and what kind of mileage and workouts were common in those trainings? Well, Lydiard, the the most important thing was that you took your target race and you started training for that about three or four months ahead of time, and you had these different periods of your training. The first one was building up your endurance by running long distances, and then you did about six weeks or so of building strength by hill bounding and then um, building speed by doing short intervals on the track, which we did twice a week usually, two or three times a week. We'd do intervals on the track. and then But you didn't put it all together until the day of the race when you went long, fast. You either did short, fast runs or long, slow runs. And then... That was pretty much it. But you had to, uh, Lydiard especially, um, encouraged me to do more of the time trials, short workouts and time trials, like in the last three or four, last month or six weeks before a marathon, uh, you would cut down your mileage, but you'd do time trials of about three miles to five miles where you would run fast. You would do a couple of those a week. So it was a hard, easy system. Okay. Um, and at the time, did you know how how famous Lydiard was going to be and how he was influenced? Well, Lydiard was already famous. He'd coached all the he'd coached all the New Zealand athletes who won medals in nineteen. And would have been sixty four. Yeah, nineteen sixty sixty four. He coached Peter Snell and all those people. Yeah, he was very famous as a coach in New Zealand. He coached all those wonderful New Zealand runners. And they said, how can so many people run from this tiny little island <laughs> win all these medals in the Olympics? And they said, well, he's got the same coach. So I'd known, and I, Dawes always talked about Lydiard because he'd gone to visit him and so forth. So, um, so when I met Arthur, he was delighted to take over, and he would just write out a schedule for me, and I'd try to do it. Basically, it was um, one long run a week and several days of medium runs. Say the long run was 20 miles or longer, then the the medium runs would be about an hour, an hour and a half, 10 miles or something. And then a couple of speed workouts, that kind of thing. It's all in my books. Okay. I'm pretty sure I have the women's running book. I just have not uh, read that. I the one that you should concentrate on if you want to know about training instead of what what running does to your mind and so forth. <laughs> what running does to your mind and so forth is in running free. But 
the training uh, one is the new the new women's running, which came out in 1984, because the original women's running was too much for most people, even back in the 80s. Because I said you should run about 70 miles a week, which is what we were doing, and do this kind of workout morning and afternoon and so forth. But then I found out most people didn't like to go that far, so I cut it down and the new women's running to 50 miles a week is not. Gotcha. Okay. And and during the time that you were training under the Lydiard system, did you have any training partners that did the program with you? (laughs) That's kind of funny. We had a I still ran with the same group of women out you know, for my daily runs frequently out in San Francisco, and we had coaching by a fellow out there named Bill Zapata for a number of years, and uh, he would meet us all at the track and uh, give them a workout, and I'd say, Daryl, I, I have to do my Lydiard workout. Sorry. He said, that's okay. So I'd go and do whatever the Lydiard one was, but on the same track and pretty much at the same time. So if he said, okay, do blah, 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 I would do that with a variation. He didn't mind. He was very sweet that way. But it always helps, always, when you're going to do track work, you need people to do it with. Definitely. Um, And then during this time, you'd also been on the national marathon team and who were the women that you competed against most? Because you were on the national team from 1974 to 79. Um, who were the women that you competed against the most during during those years? Let's see. Well, let me see. There was Nina Cusick. Um, there was Jacqueline Hansen, Marilyn Paul, the first national champion, Judy Eikenberry. We all went over, Judy and I went over to Wald Mield together in 1974. That's the first time I broke three hours, I think. And um, let's see, who else was important back then? Oh, I, I knew all of them. They're probably all on my list. Gail Barron was in there. She came along in 1976. Are any of these on your list? Yep, I think um, I'm actually talking to Judy tonight. Oh, good. Say hi to Judy for me. I haven't talked to her in years. Excellent. I will do that. Um, it's funny. A lot of the women tell me that since there were not very many of them running, they all kind of knew each other, saw each other at races, but some of them lived so far apart that it was hard to keep track of them or they'd only see them maybe one or two times a year. Was that, was that That's kind true. Of- you would only see these women uh, at other places a couple of times a year, yes. Mm-hmm. But you can, Mickey Gorman was there. Mm-hmm. He was, I remember I've got, you see a lot of the pictures from those days, and it's always the same people. It's me and Jacqueline and Mickey Gorman and, you know, so forth, yeah. and some others. But it's, um, uh, Mickey, uh, she's, she's on the list, but um, she won't be able to participate. Oh. In the yeah, she's um uh, she's battling cancer at the moment. Oh, poor Mickey. Yeah, so she was a terrific runner. Uh, yeah, so she was the first one who had a baby, and compared to having a baby, the marathon is easy. Oh, I love that. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, so, 
When you so I met know, these women. These women were, they were important because um, we all would go to the national championships year after year. And then when the Avon Marathon started, we'd go to those, too. I think the first one was in 1978 in Atlanta. And then the next one was in Valmeal again. And then they had one in Canada, and the Paris Marathon was terrific. We did the Avon in Paris and the Avon in London. Those are great. You should talk to Catherine Switzer. Yeah, she's, she's definitely on my list. And I actually ran one of her... She did a, a 10K series as well, and I ran in one of her 10K road series. Yes, I've done those. I've done one of those, one or two, yes. Yeah, they were really Later, but the most important thing was, you see, we all worked together. Um, well, Henley, Henley Gibble was one of the ones from the East, and then Jacqueline Hansen and I were all on this, and I forget who else, but we were on the International Running Committee, which tried to... Um, get women's uh, marathoning and longer races and the 10K and the 5K into the Olympics. So we were on that from the 70s until 1984 when they finally put it in. I didn't meet Joan Benoit, now Samuelson, until 1980. And uh, Jacqueline was telling me that you guys did a letter-writing campaign and got letters from people from all over the world about adding the marathon. And you guys What's that? I can't quite hear you. Oh, sorry. Um, Jacqueline was telling me about the the campaign that you guys did for yes. this with the, right. the IRC and um, the amount of letters you wrote and got back. This, it was yes. a very long We worked process. very hard. There were some men there, too, Manfred Stephanie from Germany and Noel Tammany from Switzerland, and who had been in the international. They'd been there with runners from Switzerland and Germany and so forth in the uh, Wild Neal Marathon, so we all got together on that. And Henley was on that committee. We wrote lots of letters and did petitions and so forth. They told us they couldn't put the marathon in because it wasn't done in enough countries or something like that. And you guys got letters from pretty much all over the world. Yes. Jacqueline knows more about that than I do because she is very organized. And she mentioned you and and Henley, and um, she told me uh, that I should definitely ask you. Nina Kuzik, I think, too. Oh, Nina. And you you guys really fought. You guys never gave up. You guys kept pushing and pushing, and that was amazing. Yes, we had to keep pushing. I like that a lot of the women in the 70s and 80s really didn't take no for an answer when they told they couldn't run this or some of the women, the tracks were locked up and they climbed the fence anyways. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't have running for girls in schools, and it just wasn't done in schools or colleges. And uh, later on, I think it was in the 80s or 90s, um, probably about 1990, I was asked to give a contribution to my college, which was Wellesley. And I went for toward their gym. And, you know, they were getting new athletic fields and so forth. And I said, I'll make a big contribution if you promise me that you'll start a women's cross-country team. Because they didn't, not only did they not have a track, they didn't even have a cross-country run. And so they did, and they got John Babington, the famous coach who coached Lynn Jennings, they got him to be the coach. So that was great. Wow. And they've won a number of things now. 
But you see, when I was growing up, we were told girls can't run. Girls don't run because they can't run. And Von Aachen would always tell stories about the first Olympics when they had 800 meters. I think it was in 1932. It might have been in 1924. I don't know which marathon. They they only let women run the 100-yard dash and the 200-yard dash. Nothing longer than that. And at one of those things, I think it was in 1924, but it might have been 32, they let them run 800 meters. And though they said this is very unhealthy. So anyway, these women had never really trained for it, and they ran as fast as they could for 800 meters, and a couple of them fell on the track exhausted. And the ambulance came with a silence blaring and loaded them all into the ambulance and said, obviously, this is not for women. So they took it out again, and they didn't introduce those longer runs for women into the Olympics. I think that in 1968, they finally reintroduced the 800 meters. That was 68, but or it might have been later. Judy knows about that because she she ran a lot of those early races, but she was limited in how much she could do. I think she went to the Maccabee Games where the longest she could run was 800 meters. That was the the AAU, which was in charge of running in those days, wouldn't let women enter anything longer than 800 meters, if that. So we ignored them. We entered anyway, and out in California, the uh, race directors and you know clubs were, they didn't care, run whatever you like. So we did. I, I love that. And I like the fact, in Boston it was funny, before 72, after a while, Jack didn't care if they were running as long as they didn't have a number on. <laughs> yes. The whole, the whole sanctioning thing. It just, it just That's why really Catherine Switzer made such a impact when she ran with a number. Yes. Yeah, you you couldn't start at the start with everybody else so they'd pull you off if they saw you were a woman, but yeah, the 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 number was the important thing. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I see you as a pioneer because you were on the International Runners um committee trying to get the women's marathon in the Olympics. You wrote books and wrote for Runners World and a column in women's and fitness. Um, did you see yourself as a pioneer in running and creating history? Well, it's an interesting question. I didn't really think much about it. I just, <laughs> I've always been one to talk about what I like, so that's what I kept doing and write about what I liked. I, I do know that being a doctor, I knew more about it than most people. I knew the health aspects and the fitness aspects and all that very well. Back in those days, they didn't have sports medicine, but I was one of the the founders of that when they finally did start sports medicine. And how how did you go about them, or how did they go about making sports medicine kind of a different area? It's interesting because back in 1972 or 71, when I'd be getting injuries because I'd be doing things wrong, and I, I have a big section in my book, uh, Women's Running and Running Free. I think it's practically the same. They didn't have ibuprofen back then, but aspirin was what I advised people to take. I still take aspirin. And um, I've got about 10 pages on how to prevent and treat injuries, and that's still the best there is. That's all you need. <laughs> wow, that's- so anyway, that's in Women's Running and the New Women's Running, that chapter on injuries and how to prevent them. Okay. And so I I wrote about that. It was important. 
definitely. You you have so many women with those books in the columns, you know, how to get started, how to train, and the injury prevention. Um, were there any other people that you looked up to or that you saw in, in helping as being a women's pioneer? Um, I know you were on the, the International Running um, Committee. I know those oh, women were definitely. Yeah, in California it had to be Petey, Elaine Peterson. She's okay. no longer with us, alas. But... Um, she died at about age 60. Anyway, so PD was very, very helpful to everybody. And um, there were some other women in the DSE who weren't as fast as PD, but um, who were, you know, fun. And, of course, Marietta was very important. And then nationally, it would have been people like um, Nina Cusick and... And others, and we all met for the first time. The first time they had an internet, sorry, a national championship for women was in 1974. Okay. So that's where we met, and they selected the top five plus me as interpreter to go over to Germany and run in the international marathon, the first one. Okay. So, Ranak, and so 1974, 1976 were the big things, and then we'd run into these people, these same women all around. So I guess we all looked at each other. And during this time of traveling and and riding, how did you how did you juggle the kids and the family with running? That's always a big concern with women. And well, let me see. I'd take the kids every every I'd go for a race every uh, weekend, a DSE race, and uh, bring the kids along. And uh, there'd always be somebody there who could sort of look after them. The races weren't very long. I guess the longest one would have been the Dipsy, but you find somebody to look after them. There were some very interesting uh, people around there, so that was how I juggled the kids the rest of the time they were in school. And then when they got to be in ninth grade, they went off to boarding school. In the east, they went to a school called uh, Deerfield Academy, great place. And they loved that, so... That was good, and I could go visit them at Deerfield and run the Boston Marathon, which I did. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, and I must say, uh, one thing I'm very proud of that I didn't realize till I went back for my 50th reunion at Wellesley, and I was looking around Copley Square, where they've got uh, the Boston Marathon, this big medallion there with the names of all the winners from the beginning up to the present. It goes year by year, and I got to 1984, and there was my name because I was the first woman master that year in Boston. So my name is in the pavement at Copley Square. I'm thrilled. Oh, that's that's, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. And well, did you very... do that at the time? You didn't know at the that? time? Well, what happened was when I was first master, um, they gave the trophy to somebody else, Vicki Foltz, I think they thought, had won it. But it turns out that Vicki had given her number to some man that ran with it and uh, he had, because she was injured. So she gave her number away and uh, this stupid man ran with it and didn't realize <laughs> that he would get counted as first master. So he never got the trophy and I never did either. So I didn't know if the Boston Athletic Association that sponsors the marathon ever figured out that I was the first master. And the Eastern guy who's now in charge of things, Tom Dedurian, I guess told them to get correct. 
And, and Cindy Dalrymple, she uh, talked to Vicky and said, "Oh, congratulations, Vicky." And Vicky said, "I wasn't even there." <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I don't know how it finally got into the record book because I never got my trophy or recognition. But then I found my name at Copley Square, so that said they knew that I was the first master that year. Wow, that's amazing. I was third master another year and got some money for that, but I did. I d- they didn't have any money in 1984 when I was first master. So. No. Just the trophy. No. Never got the trophy. Oh, we should work on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so the Boston Marathon, I must have run about 10 or 12 times because when I'd go to visit Deerfield, which is in western Massachusetts, I'd go on to Boston and run the Boston Marathon. That was my last marathon in 1996. Okay. I was getting slower. I could hardly break 3.30 anymore. I was 56, I guess, and uh, I said, I think that's it for me. I didn't want to train anymore. Yeah. So did you, you competed in Masters then for about 16 years, is that right? Uh, 26. 26 years? No, 16. So- I said, no, it's to 56. I competed in, yeah, I was as a master in everything. Yeah. But that's not, I'm not, not just marathons, all races. Okay. And what was your favorite part about competing in Masters, and, and what all did you do in the Masters competitions? Oh, I did all kinds of things. Every race I entered, I was a master. So I didn't, but the only ones that I traveled to were the, uh, the ones I was invited to as to speak. Did a lot of those. And... Um, these are the ones I was invited to. There'd be things like the Lilac Blooms Day Run and so forth. You've done that, haven't you? I don't think I've done Lilac yet. The Lilac Blooms Day Run, it's in Spokane. Yeah, I was actually supposed to run it this year, but uh, an injury. Oh, that's a great race. I won yeah. it one year, I think. Oh. And then we'd go, all the women would meet at races in Washington, D.C. and so forth. So. And it says that you won... Um, at the Veterans Games, you won a couple yes, of Yes, that's awards. right. I went to the Veterans Games, and that's how I met, uh, that's after I met Arthur Lydiard. He said, we're having the World Veterans Games in New Zealand. You should come to that. So I went there to New Zealand for the first time. I've been there five or six times now. One of my dear friends is a woman from New Zealand named uh, Heather Matthews. She used to be Heather Thompson, and I met her back in 1983, and we visited many times. And, of course, Lorraine Moeller, who was married to my coach, Ron Dawes, for a while. She's from New Zealand, too, and they're all coached by Lydiard, so it's interesting. Okay. And of the 80 marathons that you ran, uh, which was the most memorable? Or was there a mar- or, or was one of your most memorable not a marathon? <laughs> no, I'd say the most memorable are marathons, and I'd have to say that the one I'm proudest of was the St. George Marathon in 1988 when I finally broke 250 in the marathon. I was 47, no, 48 years old, and I ran 247. So for a while, that was the American record for the 45 to 49 age group. But that didn't last long, a couple of miles. We had a lot of good masters runners. So anyway, 247 is my personal best, and that was in 1988, so that was probably the most memorable. And then I loved running Boston, 
and the Avenue of the Giants up in Northern California, which goes through the redwood trees. I did a lot of marathons a number of times, and I've run around the world, too. I ran not only in Germany, but in Japan I ran a marathon, and in Norway I ran over the mountains. That was great. Wow. So I've I've run all over the world. That's amazing. Uh, and so, are you still running today? Are you for fitness or? Well, I had a big bike crash back about five years ago, and uh, I was coaching the Aspen Running Club, and uh, was running well because I would run with them and I would get pretty fast. But uh, I haven't been able to coach them because I was practically killed myself in that bike crash, and. Um, I was in the hospital for a week and comatose and fractures. So I haven't been able to run. I wasn't able to coach anymore after that, so I haven't done any speed work. So I do run a bit, but I wouldn't call it really running. It's pretty slow because I don't do speed work anymore. You have to do speed work to get fast. Very true. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, but I... Um, I run, if I run now, about usually three or four miles pretty slowly. Okay. You're still moving. That's good. Uh, that's definitely And I good. do um, I do about one race a year, like the turkey trot here. <laughs> okay. Very nice. Um, and so you have had an amazing career with writing and running, and, and I must say running 247 at age 48 and having that be your best marathon, that is that is pretty inspiring to a lot of people who... Yes, and I've been running and doing marathons since 1973. I've been doing marathons since 73, so this was 15 years later. And it was my... You know, it wasn't my last marathon, but it was probably uh, at least my 60th, maybe. Yeah. 60th, 70th. Anyway, I did lots of marathons. I do about five a year. Oh, wow. Okay. And of those, probably two would be fast, hard, and the others would just be training runs, fun. Okay. I would say that you probably picked a couple each year that you really uh, train for, and that was yes, your goal marathon. absolutely. That's the Lydiard system. You select what you're going to train for, and you train aiming for that. Um, and it's interesting to me that the women in the 70s and 80s had these amazing goals. They didn't see any barriers. They had no excuses. And now it seems the tide has changed with women. The goals don't seem as big. And Wait, I can't quite hear you. Oh, sorry. Um, it always amazes me that the women in the 70s and 80s yes. had these really high goals. And they also had a lot of barriers, but they didn't care. There was no... Even though people told them they could not do it, they just kept going. Yeah. The women today, the women today seem to have all these barriers, and the goals aren't as big. They have barriers today. Well, they think they do. <laughs> There's always these excuses. What What do you think of the, the change in in women's running um, since the 70s? Well, it was good in the 70s and 80s, and then. Um, it got kind of slowed down after that because they were more intent on getting women to participate than to do well. And um, so a lot of women felt, well, I'm allowed to participate, but I'm not allowed to do well. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. But as I say, when I am out 
running and I see other women running, I say, oh, great, you're running. Yes, training for a marathon. Oh, what's what's your goal? And I expect them to say sub-4 or sub-330, but, oh, just to finish. And so I have a daughter, I have a stepdaughter, Amy, who's now in her 40s, and um, she's run something like a 320, but when she first started doing marathons, she was not aiming for anything like that. I said, Amy, you can do it. I did that. You know, I did that when I was older than you, and you're a very good athlete, which she is, so you have to encourage them. And I think what was very important well, two things were very important. One was that a group of us ran together, so we all sort of ran along with each other. And every day, we'd the usual route was seven miles down to the beach and back, and we all ran together. So it would be about 7.30 pace. And so, of course, we could do 7.30 pace. My first marathon was at 7.30 pace. Anyway, so that's one thing, running with a group of people who, um, you know, you can keep up with. And you all push each other. So that's one very important thing. And I'm trying to think what the other very important thing was. Oh, yes, races. DSE was very important. Again, that's the Dolphin South End Runners. <laughs> I used to give them mottos. One of the mottos, because I remember standing at the start of one of those races, and one of these really good runners said, I like to start out slowly and then pick up the pace. And then another guy said, I like to start out really fast, but then taper off. I said, I have to start out slowly and then taper off. So that became the model. <laughs> start slowly and then taper off. The uh, symbol of the DSE winners was a turtle. Anyway, so <clears throat> this race opened everybody. It cost only a dollar, a um, dollar a person. And that's another problem nowadays. The races all cost so much. So the DSC was great because it only cost a dollar. And uh, <clears throat> that was to pay for the ribbons and things because everybody got a ribbon. And um, doing those races was very good because it stimulated you. You always had to catch up with your friends and people in front of you. You could met your peers. You'd run with your own peer group in every race. And, you know, you could see how you were doing by how were you doing compared to them. And nowadays people don't race much. And they don't really run faster. The other thing is we used to always run um, much faster in races than in training run. Training runs were done at a comfortable talk pace. And as I, as I told people when some of the talks I gave, you know, telling them how to run, I'd say, if you're training and you're just running around to keep to get fit or to do your, you have to be able to talk. But if you're running a race and you can talk, you're going too slowly. <laughs> So, are you there still? That, that, that makes sense uh, to me. It, it's definitely interesting um, to hear people talk about racing. And some of the people have mentioned that they thought that charity races um, had also kind of taken away some of the the competitiveness of, of the women runners. They're more running for charity and, and a cause and not really racing. Well, that's probably true. I think that's true. Uh, they're very expensive these days, races, and they're always trying to fund things, and um, it's difficult. I just don't think it's the same as a, a fun group run that we had, scenic runs of San Francisco. They still have those. I don't know how much they cost nowadays, probably $2. But anyway, who knows? Oh, that's great. Um, and I would 
Uh, it would be bad if I didn't ask you about the 10% rule that you are kind of known for as well, coming up with the running running prescription of 10%. <laughs> Can you tell me about that? Yeah, you know, 10%. <laughs> Um, means that of the miles you do, say you do 50 miles a week, you should run 10% fast, like on a track or something. That would be five miles. If you're doing 50 miles a week, five miles fast. If you do much more than that, say 20% fast, you'll get injured after a while. And then so the races and the track work are the fast runs, so that should be 10%. And then... um, See what were the other rules of ten percent? Remember, it's going to take you ten years to get into good shape, so you'll keep improving for at least ten years. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and let's see what other were the ten percent rules: ten fast, ten ten faster in races, ten years. I forget what the other was. Joe Henderson used them too. It's been so long since I talked about them. I forget what the others were. Um, I know there's always been, at least I've always been told, and uh, not to increase your mileage more than ten percent. Oh yes, right, ten percent a week, right? Exactly. That's an important one. Yeah. Yeah, that's, Don't that's build up fast. Don't double your mileage in from one week to the next. Increase about ten percent a week now if you're building up. Thank you for reminding me of that one. <laughs> That's the one that seems to be floated around all the time. That you always hear that one. The ten percent rule. Don't increase more than ten percent. Um, right. That's definitely a, that's definitely a good one. Um, is there anything that you would like to add or that I that I didn't cover? Let me just look here a moment. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we've been pretty comprehensive. Excellent. It's it's definitely fun um, talking to you because you not only were part of women's running, but you wrote about women's running. You encouraged probably more women than you know with your books. Yes, well, that's what's been very exciting to me all these years, to have people come to me, <laughs> usually after they beat me. I think I wrote the, about this in some one of my books that, these women were in one of my articles. Uh, there'd be somebody who beat me in the race. Judy Fox was one of them, I remember, and some others. Oh, some others who were who became Olympians later, and they'd they'd be ahead of me in the race, and then they'd turn around and say, "Oh, I read your book. That's what got me here." <laughs> so that was fun. They say, "Yeah, but why they always say that from in front of me instead of behind me?" <laughs> yeah, a lot of people like that. That's great. Wow. So you were definitely a pioneer in, in more than one way, and that's it's really amazing the things that, you, that you've that you done and you've accomplished. And I think the women running today, especially the pro women, should thank you for, for all that you did, especially helping to get the women's marathon into the Olympics. Oh, thank God we did that. Yes, thank that was God huge. Thank God we did that. And good for Johnny Benoit Samuelson. He was, I met her finally in 1980 up in Portland. Is that where you live, you said? Yeah, I live in Portland. Yeah, well, we went up to the Cherry Blossom Run, was it, yep. that they have there every year? And that's where I first met her, and that was a year that um, they they didn't want us to race against professionals, so we couldn't take any money for anything or race against anyone who'd taken money. It was back when the AAU was in charge, and we all 
we all entered the race anyway, even though there were some so-called professionals in it. And they threatened to kick us all out of the AAU. So it was interesting. But there I got to meet Joni, who was running very well. Still is. <laughs> yeah, I know she is. She's got, she has amazing goals, and it, she always comes out and hits most of them. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty neat what she's been able to do and accomplish and, and continue to do. Yes. Yes. Okay, well, thanks a lot for asking yeah. all these interesting questions, Amy. I can't wait to see this book. Uh, it's actually going to be the uh, interviews. Um, Andy's going to do the book, but I'm doing the interviews that are posted on the um, RRCA, the RRCA website, the Roadrunner Club of America. Yep. And I will keep you posted and let you know when it all comes out. Okay. Thanks a lot. Well, thank Good you luck so with your running too. Okay. I hope so. I'll go read your book on the injury prevention. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.